It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Pride. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com, the mobile app, and podcast platforms. He's Jeff Fiegels. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes as we continue to break down all that is happening with the New York Giants. A reminder, all of our shows are pre-recorded this week. We are unable to take your phone calls, but we want to continue to have that interactive component so you can submit your questions through the Giants.com mailbag or use hashtag GiantsChat on Twitter. We'll continue to monitor all of those questions throughout the course of the week, and later on, we'll be answering a few, so stay tuned for that. We will be continuing our opponent preview, but first, a reminder that you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. The Giants will visit the Chiefs on Monday Night Football in Week 8 on November 1st. Kansas City went 14-2 in 2020, made its second straight Super Bowl appearance, but fell to the Bucks 31-9. To get more into what to expect from the Chiefs this season, we are now joined by Matt Derrick, who covers the team for ChiefsDigest.com. Matt, you got Lance Meadow, Jeff Fiegels here on Giants.com, Big Blue Kickoff Live. Greatly appreciate the time today. Hope all is well on your end. How are things? Hello, Matt. Uh, not too bad. Uh, you know, everything in Kansas City uh, could be a little bit quieter, but there's plenty of stuff going on, unfortunately. Well, it's always busy in the world of the NFL. I think we can attest to that. You can attest to that. And as we know, training camp is going to be here sooner rather than later. So, in order to really get a big-picture perspective of the Chiefs, I think it's best to start, Matt, with what I consider the biggest storyline, and that's the offensive line. It's not so much about the offensive skilled positions. It's more about whether or not they will win the battle in the trenches based on what we saw in the Super Bowl. And I don't think I remember seeing a team revamp an offensive line so quickly in the span of one offseason. What do you make of what the Chiefs were able to accomplish to try to shore up some of the issues that were exposed due to injuries, of course, in the Super Bowl? Yeah, you're right. I mean, a year ago at this time, the Chiefs were talking about the fact that um, they had pretty much their entire starting offensive line, you know, tied up for another year or two. And, you know, with a couple of, you know, Pro Bowl caliber players on the bookends with Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz, uh, they seem set. And you're right. I mean, injuries uh, took took everything else starch out of this offensive line last year, and it really is what undermined them in the Super Bowl. And they vowed. I mean, General Manager Brett Veach, you know, met with with Patrick Mahomes and promised him, you know, never again were they going to put him in a situation where he wasn't going to be that well protected. And you're right. I mean, they went out and addressed every single you know position on that offensive line to the point where there are going to be starters from last year's group that might be lucky to make this team. And you're right. They, they went about it in every single way in the draft and free agency trades. Uh, they've done everything that they can to try and improve every. All, each of those positions on the offensive line. And the question is going to be just, you know, how quickly can this group come together? You know, is the chemistry going to be an issue? You know, how well will this group gel, you know, just and really just, a, you know, a few weeks and months, really, you know, working together. We're probably going to be in a position where I would expect there to be at least four, if not five, brand new starters on that group. Well, I think that uh, 
And Matt, again, thank you for joining us today on Big Blue Kickoff Live. I, you know, you look at the offensive line, you look at any team that has a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes. I, I'm sure that you, you certainly want to be able to protect him. And and obviously, the Super Bowl has showed that how that can happen when you do not protect the quarterback. All of a sudden, things bad things happen. I look at the names that are on this offensive line, and you're right. I feel like, my goodness, did we just play a video game and just start you know, trading guys left and right? Because there are some serious good players here. Um, my question to you is this. Not only is it the, the offensive line, the starters, that if you pencil them in, you got a lot of depth there, too. Um, my first question is, how, how do you think Kyle Long is going to uh, fit into this now that he had an offseason injury? Will he be back? And then also uh, the opt-out, and I'm not going gonna, gonna to butcher his name, but you know who I'm talking about, uh, Duvernay, Tardif, Laurent. Laurent, Laurent Duvernay, Tardif. You got okay, it. There you go. Good, good try, though. Um, we, everybody calls him Larry, so you just want okay, to go with Larry. That. Let's just go with that, okay? I love that. That's perfect. And then, of course, you got um, Creed Humphrey, that uh, the guard, that, or excuse me, the guy from Alabama that, that they ended up drafting. So talk a little bit about that, and, and more importantly, I'd love to know how Kyle Long is going to fit into this thing. Yeah, Kyle Long, you know, stepped in and during OTAs and was running as the starter at right guard, and, and from what the coaches, they really liked what they had seen. Uh, you know, I think the year off certainly allowing him to get healthy, helped out. Uh, they felt like he came back in great shape, didn't show any rust from not playing in 2020, and then the, the injury knocks him out, and it looks like it's going to probably prevent him from being with the club through most of, of training camp, if not into the beginning of the season. And, you know, to be honest, that might even be a blessing in disguise because the Chiefs feel like that Kyle Long is the, is the player that they're going to need this season. But I think they really are interested in seeing what else they have. And if maybe he could be a sixth man who can be someone who would come in and, and spell a lot of different positions if needed. Um, because the guy that they really like is that sixth round pick, Trey Smith. Um, this is a kid who, you know, fell through the draft largely due to some questions about his medicals. Um, but so far, the Chiefs have loved everything about him. And, and he started running with the ones when Kyle Long went down. And now you're talking about an offensive line. You're right. You've got on the left side, Orlando Brown Jr. and Joe Tooney on the left side there. Um, Pro Bowl or Pro Bowl caliber players in the past, certainly. Um, Creed Humphrey is the center in the second round draft pick, is another player of very big, large a mountain of a player at center that, you know, really is going to fit in with some of the things that they want to do in in the run game. And, you know, Trey Smith is another big, big player. And right now, Mike Rivers is probably the front runner at right tackle, but there's a lot of options there, including, you know, uh, they, they drafted Lucas Niang in the third round last year, who opted out of last season. He could fit into that position. Kyle Long, they have not ruled him out of maybe being a right tackle some point in this season. And Larry is, is the question mark, because you're right. I mean, this is a guy who started for a Super Bowl championship team. And, you know, he's coming back after the opt-out. And, you know, he, he, he could fit in a lot of different ways. But, I mean, if this is a player, you know, Andrew Wiley was a starter for this team last season. Um, you know, Nick Allegretti was a starter for this team last season. And you're talking about three players right there who might be coming off the bench. And if that's the way that this offensive line shakes out, they're going to feel a lot better, not just about their starting group, but about their depth as well. Well, and that brings me to a follow-up question on that point, Matt, because I think – 
when we talk about what happened to the Super Bowl, everybody says, oh, well, Tampa Bay absolutely dominated up front. They didn't have to blitz. They got after Patrick Mahomes. But I think when you look at, well, why were the Chiefs put in that position? The reason they were put in that position is because when you lose both of your tackles come postseason time, and then you realize, well, the depth, those guys didn't get a lot of playing time. It's going to come back to bite you. So from what you just mentioned, how much was the focus this offseason, not just on retooling the starting five, but saying, hey, we feel good about some of our backup guards and our backup tackles. God forbid we're struck by the injury bug again. Yeah, it, it really was. I mean, they felt like they had a, a decent amount of depth last season, but you're right. I mean, there's only so many losses and injuries that you can you know, withstand. And last year they had Larry, you know, opt out from the beginning of the season. Then you lose your two starting tackles. Um, that was just too much. You know, by the end of the year, you know, those were just too many losses to eventually overcome. And that's, that is still a factor with this team. I mean, once again, I mean, any team probably loses their two starting tackles. So there's going to be in a world of hurt. The Chiefs would be there right now, too. I mean, if they had to go out and play a game and a game that meant something, a Super Bowl playoff game without Orlando Brown Jr. and without a Mike Rimmers, yeah, there's still going to be a problem. Um, but what they tried to do is add just a, a lot of different options. That It's not just veterans. It's not just rookies. They've got a little bit of a mix. I would not be surprised if this team carries a lot of offensive linemen. I mean, you know, there's a little bit different rules with roster construction now. So you have a little bit of flexibility. But it, it wouldn't surprise me that she's carried nine or ten offensive linemen simply because they, they want to have that depth. You know, you talk about the the offensive line, which they're they're blocking guys. So, you know, I want to kind of transition into the backfield a little bit um, at the running back position. Uh, you know, had a rookie last year come in and do a nice job. And, you know, a lot of people just think that the Kansas City Chiefs just throw the ball everywhere. But I think that Andy Reid wants to, uh, to really kind of not have to rely on the run game, but I think he wants to provide um, – that they can do it. And so talk to me a little bit about the running game and how the Chiefs are going to kind of put, put some on the field to be able to run the football this year. Yeah, the run game is really interesting because you're, you're right. I mean, you know, Andy Reid is, is not necessarily a run-first football coach, but he does <laughs> want to run the ball. He wants to run it effectively, most importantly. And I, one thing I'm going to be interested in to seeing is if they get away from a, a little bit of the stuff that they have done in recent years. You know, the Chiefs have really made their money on, you know, their outside zone and a lot of zone blocking and right now they've got a lot of guys who honestly are probably better equipped for you know uh, a, a gap running scheme and especially probably in short yardage situations because that's been this offense's you know one achilles heel has been that if they just needed one yard in a cloud of dust they haven't always been able to get that especially being able to run the ball in goal line situations and you know you've seen the chiefs have to you know, go to a lot of trickery. Um, they've used the, the shovel pass, and, and they've they've done some trick plays at the goal line to, to try and be able to move the football. They want to be able to give the ball to Clyde Edwards-Helaire and have him run behind a couple of these big road graders up front and just get that short yardage when they need it to run the football in the red zone when they need to. Um, that's going to go a long way, I think, to you know, judging the success of this offensive line because if they are able to do that, they're able to establish the ground game a little bit better. They're were certainly times last year 
where they felt like the the balance of the offense got away from them, that they got maybe more pass-heavy than they wanted to, um, put themselves into situations where, you know, with their run-pass options that they were just getting a little bit too unbalanced. They want to be able to get away from that. They want to be able to have a balanced offense that's keeping defenses off their toes. And the best way for they feel to do that is to run the ball effectively. And, and that's right. This offensive line working in conjunction with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and a deep backfield, you know, Daryl Williams, Jedrick, Kendrick McKinnon, I think is going to be a big part of this offense. Uh, that's what they're hoping to establish this year. We're talking with Matt Derrick, who covers the Chiefs for ChiefsDigest.com. Matt, I'm glad you brought up Jerick McKinnon because here's a player that had a few injury-plague seasons with the San Francisco 49ers. Last year, he managed to play all 16 games, and I am completely with you. I think this may be an extremely underrated signing that a lot of people are not talking about because you, know, you were talking about the emphasis of the run game, but you could argue within the Chiefs' offense— they also like to dump it off to their running backs, and a short three- or four-yard pass that picks up 10 or 15 yards is essentially an extension of the run game. So what you just alluded to by saying you think McKinnon's going to have a big role, how do you see him fitting in with Clyde Edwards-Elaire in terms of being a nice fit, not just in the run game, but also maybe an extension into that short passing game? Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how they, they, they work those two backs together uh, because I wouldn't even be surprised necessarily to, to see them on the field at the same time a lot, and, you know, with one or both of them even splitting out. Um, they feel like those are both players that can essentially, you know, play at the line of scrimmage. They can play in the backfield. They they can do a lot of different things, and you're right. I mean, Andy Reid in the screen game is legendary, so he's absolutely a genius at being able to find ways to get speedy players to ball in space. And, and McKinnon absolutely fits that. Um, if he's able to stay healthy, uh, this seems like the perfect fit for him offensively. Um, we, we saw a lot of it during OTAs. I mean, the Chiefs were, were trying to figure out ways to get him to, the ball to work in. And, you know, Clyde Ebertillaire wasn't there for all of OTAs, and, and Darren Williams was banged up a couple of days. So he saw a lot of time this offseason, and I think that's probably going to put him in good stead once they get to the training camp in the regular season. Uh, Matt, you know, the, the Chiefs did a good job. Obviously, we talked about the offensive line and kind of replenishing that. I, I feel like uh, when you start to go to their wide receiver group, I think it's, you know, they kind of got sacrificed a little bit there. With Sammy Watkins leaving and going to the Ravens, you're kind of stuck with, uh, you know, kind of just uh, run-of-the-mill kind of receivers there. I know that they can use Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey in their passing game, uh, you know, extensively. What do you think about the wide receiver position, and how do you think that's going to shape up for the 2021 season for Mr. Mahomes there? Yeah, if there was one wish list on Brett Veach's offseason shopping list that he just didn't get done, it was getting an ex-possession-type receiver. You know, they, they took a couple of shots in, in, in free agency that didn't quite pan out, so they didn't get that. Um, so, you know, outside of you know Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill, they're going to be looking at a kind of a lot of role players to, to yeah. see how they fit yeah. in. Demarcus Robinson's coming back. Uh, who's been a reliable, you know, 500-yard type receiver for them. Um, what they're really hoping to see is that McCole Hardman can take that leap in year three. Um, he, he made a little bit of a step forward in year two, but, you know, you really haven't seen him becoming a, a full, reliable, 
target all the time. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, Patrick Mahomes and, and the Chiefs get onto him about is sometimes just completing his routes and finishing the play. Uh, there have been some opportunities when he's just left some plays on the field, and, and that's something that he's focused on. Uh, Cole Hartman's going to get a huge chance to step up and be the, the number two receiver behind Tyreek Hill in this offense. Uh, if he doesn't claim it, I mean, there's going to be some other guys trying to clamber for targets, but you're right. Outside of their top two guys in Kelsey and Hill, it's going to be a little bit of a, a group by committee. And I think the Chiefs are, are banking on the fact that they've got a quarterback that they firmly believe can take good receivers and make them great and, and can take be take average receivers and make them good. <laughs> From a... well, Patrick Mahomes certainly could do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no question. No question. I think it's fair to say that we've seen that over the course of his first few yeah. seasons, so there's no doubt about that. I wanted to ask a big-picture perspective question, Matt, because you even alluded to this earlier when we were talking about Andy Reid's philosophy, and it hasn't been known as a guy that wants to run the football, and clearly when you have a guy like Patrick Mahomes, you trust that he can work his magic, but when we saw them win the Super Bowl, and I go back to the play in which he allowed Chad Henney to throw the ball on fourth and one, and most coaches would say, hey, let's be conservative, let's run the football, and let's try to run out the clock and win this game. I guess what I'm getting at, Matt, is they've made two straight Super Bowls. They won one, they lost one. How much do you think philosophy changes from an offensive standpoint, from an Andy Reid standpoint? And I don't want to forget Eric Bieniemy, of course, who's the offensive coordinator, in the wake of them losing a Super Bowl compared to where they were at this time a year ago coming off the win over the Niners. Yeah, you know, you're really right. I mean, and, uh, you know, it, it's it's maybe less philosophy and more mindset because, you know, a year ago, the phrase throughout this entire organization was run it back. That was all that yeah. they were focused on. It was about bringing back the entire core. The coaching staff was all back together. It was all about having everybody that won a Super Bowl getting the second ring. Uh, this year, it's it's a little bit more about starting over again. I mean, that's the message that Andy Reid has really preached to this team, you know, has been, you know what, you know, we didn't get it done. And if you want to get it done again, you're going to have to go back to ground zero. This isn't about running it back anymore. This is about starting over. And this team, you know, you've heard it a little bit, you know, in the last couple of days from Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes, you know, that game left a bad taste in their mouth. I mean, that was a, for, for a Chiefs team that had not lost a game by more than one score in, I think, what, two and a half years um, outside of the season finale against the Chargers when, the, you know, they didn't start their starters. Um, that was a blowout. That was an embarrassment to them. So that's the kind of mentality that you are hearing is that it, it's about going back to square one and starting over. And it's not, you know, saying they're not going to take everything that they've built on in the past and continue to evolve it. But um, that is kind of, you know, the, the carrot that Andy Reid is holding out there is that, you know, you guys were embarrassed in that Super Bowl. We were all embarrassed. If we want to get that taste of our mouth, we've got to come back and work harder than we did before to get back there. Yeah, let's um, let's move over to the defensive side of the football, and you know we've got a lot of familiar faces. At least I do. One of my coaches in, in Spags was there um, with us when we won the Super Bowl in 07. Here, I you, know, you kind of like to look and see what he's doing with that Chiefs defense. I think that you know, aside from them improving their offensive line, I think that they might have uh, kind of just overlooked what's going on with their defensive line and their edge rushers. I think they've got it's something that you kind of look at. I mean, if you look at somebody. Um, you know, outside of their sack leader, Chris Jones, who, by the way, is an interior rusher, 
Um, not a whole lot I see in that Chiefs defense that really can scare people with only 32 sacks last season. Yeah, and, and that might be the surprise of this year on the Chiefs defensively is how they use Chris Jones because all indications are that they're planning on using him a lot more on the edge and, and moving him to the outside. You know, in the past, he's, he's played a little bit on the edge, especially, you know, when they were in the, back in the old 3-4 base. He, he saw a lot of time on the outside, but never is a, a true, you know, outside stand-up rusher on, on the on the real edge. Um, you're going to see him there now. They're, that's that's who they feel, you know, along with Frank Clark, who unfortunately has got some legal problems over his head that's putting his status into question. You know, that Chris Jones, they realize, is their best pass rusher. And if that's the case, they want to get him going after the quarterback. And the best way for him to do that is by putting him on the edge. The ability that they have to do that, and this is, you know, where Andy Reid feels like and has told us that their most over underrated signing of the offseason is Jerron Reed coming in and coming over from Seattle uh, to play on the interior. Him being able to come in and take over, you know, for Chris Jones' leader on the inside is what's going to allow Chris to kick to the outside. Um, how effective that transition is for, for Chris Jones, we will see. I firmly expect that the teams are going to test him. They're going to try and force him to drop back into coverage. Uh, they're going to do some things that he hasn't seen before, playing on the edge. And, and we'll see if the Chiefs can stay committed to that and if Jones can make the move. But I think that you're probably going to see Chris Jones playing more on the edge this year than he does on the inside. Yeah, I think you bring up a great point, Matt, about Jaron Reed. He had 10 and a half sacks in 2018 with the Seahawks. Obviously, he missed some time in recent history due to suspension, but he's proven he get to the quarterback from the interior. So if they could slide him in and then Chris Jones to the outside, that could absolutely be as just as much of an underrated signing as what we were talking about earlier with Jarek McKinnon on the offensive side of the ball. I want to ask a follow-up with respect to Frank Clark because you did talk about his recent legal troubles, and I know it's still very early in the game, and we don't know how things are going to play out. It's obviously in the investigative phase, but the NFL could still punish a player, as you well know, Matt, even if they're not ultimately proven guilty. So how concerned is Kansas City right now that if Frank Clark does have to hypothetically miss some time, that maybe Chris Jones is not enough single-handedly to make up for the loss of Frank Clark? Yeah, I think they would absolutely have to be concerned if if Frank Clark is not available. And and certainly at this point, there's going to be some questions. I mean, uh, his legal troubles are fairly steep. You know, he was recently uh, charged with a felony, and that was stemming from a a traffic stop in March. He has another, you know, case pending and decision-making with possible charges from another traffic stop in June. So, yeah, the, the availability of Frank Clark for the season is certainly in question. And if that's the case, you're right. I mean, the, the drop-off from, from Frank Clark is going to be significant. Um, they do have a draft pick from this year in Joshua Kando that they're very excited about. Um, but, you know, this is a player who, you know, really underachieved in college. And while he has a tremendous amount of physical tools, you know, hasn't really manifested yet. So that's a question mark. I mean, Taco Charlton is probably their, would be their most consistent, you know, contributor after that. Um, but once again, I mean, you know, injuries have been a question, you know, He's a first-round talent that didn't pan out in Dallas. You know, there's question marks all around. So, yeah, if if the Chiefs don't have Frank Clark on the field, and you're right, I mean, his availability uh, is impossibilities are really kind of murky right now. It's it's hard to say what they are. I mean, uh, it could certainly be that this case is going to take a long time to process, and therefore any. NFL punishment might be well down the road. And if that's the case, the Chiefs might be able to stick with him. Um, but if they have to force to play without Frank Clark, 
there is a deficit there. I mean, the, the, you know, Steve Spagnuolo is going to be charged with, and Brendan Daly, their defensive line coach, is really going to have their hands full figuring out how to get after the quarterback. Matt, talking about just keeping with the with the front seven, I think that you know the the Chiefs did a good job at addressing the linebacker position by uh, drafting Nick Bolton in the second round. It, I think it was much needed. Um, talk a little bit about what you saw in minicamp and some of the OTAs, if you did, if you're able to get there about Nick Bolton, their draft pick this year. Yeah, they're definitely excited about Nick Bolton, and also last year's second round pick, Willie Gay. Um, you know, they really felt like Gay last year didn't get a chance to really develop fully because without the off season, you know, not getting able to be able to get on the practice field in, until you know July and August, that was a really tough break for a lot of rookies, and it really seemed to kind of you know regress Willie Gay's development last season. So they're hoping that there's a big jump for Willie Gay this year because he is someone who has a lot of athleticism, has some speed, um, showed some pretty good reflexes last year and instincts for the football and they're hoping that yeah him paired with Nick Bolton in the future that that can be kind of the core of the middle of their defense um, Bolton's probably gonna have a little bit of a learning curve because they're priming him to be their Mike linebacker of the future taking over for, for Anthony Hitchens um, I would still expect fully that you know Anthony Hitchens is probably a guy you're gonna see on the field most of the time if not him then they really depend on Ben Neiman to, to be the quarterback of that d- defense and Bolton's going to be that guy that's kind of in training. So it would not surprise me that they bring him along slowly, uh, hoping that maybe he can you know, make more of a contribution in the second half. But they really want and need Willie Gay to be able to be a starter from day one this season and make an impact. And if that can be the core of the future, they'll be happy. But um, I think they're going to protect Will, uh, Nick Bolton this year a little bit the same way that they protected Willie Gay early last season. Do you think that's or, uh, do you think that's why they they kind of hung on to Anthony Hitchens? I mean, he's a guy that was make, making a lot of money. Do you think that's more kind of a uh, just to have a little security blanket there, just in case these guys don't progress to like they like like they want to? Yeah, it, it is to a large degree because I mean, you know, Steve Spagnuolo puts a, a lot on that Michael linebacker position oh for, being yeah. The, yeah. for being the player that's responsible for getting everybody in line, and he wants a you know a coach on the field in that spot, and they definitely feel like Nick Bolton's got that IQ to do it. But you're right. I mean, Anthony Hitchens is the guy that they trust, and, and that's somebody that you know Steve Spagnuolo. I think if if he had the, any choice of anybody on the on the defense. After Tyron Matthew and Chris Jones, it would probably be Anthony Hitchens that he wants out there. We're talking to Matt Derrick, who covers the Chiefs for ChiefsDigest.com. I want to move to the secondary because maybe a guy that Spags will gain even more trust in is cornerback Legereus Sneed, Matt, who really shined in limited time last year. He missed seven games because of the broken collarbone, but to get that type of return out of a fourth-round pick in 2020, I would assume was pretty much a pleasant surprise for the coaching staff. Now that we hope to see him for a full 16-game season, what are the expectations for Snead, and you know how much of his impressive play allows them to have confidence to put even more on his plate this year? Yeah, there's no doubt that based on what they got from LeJerry State last year, their expectations this season are sky high. Um, it, it evidence at this point from what we saw during OTAs is that they're planning on, on really making him be the guy that if he does not travel, that at least he is going to be drawing the, the toughest assignments. You know, in today's football, you know, you're usually playing with multiple defensive backs anyway and usually at least three corners in Kansas City. Um, but, you know, we were seeing him mostly starting on the outside 
inside, but then moving inside to the slot when they did go to some nickel and dime packages. Uh, so, yeah, he's going to be playing anywhere and everywhere on the field because they trust him at both those spots. They feel like he, he at this point that he may very well be both their best outside corner and slot corner. Uh, so he's going to be drawing the, the toughest matchups. I mean, he's going to need some help. Uh, Traverse Ward has, you know, kind of always been a little bit of an up and down through his young career so far. Um, they're really hoping in year four that, you know, he can maybe solidify and be a little bit more consistent in his play. And then after that, you know, they've got a lot of question marks. Um, you know, Rashad Fenton's another young corner that they like and has been pretty successful in some limited play. And then after that, they're they're kind of rolling the dice on some gambles. Um, DeAndre Baker, former first-round pick, obviously from New York, who came over. You know, they, yeah. they really liked what they saw at the, at the end of last year before he got hurt. Um, that's a tough injury that he's coming back from. So he hasn't been able to get on the field this offseason yet. Um, they're hoping maybe he can start camp. Maybe on the pup list early, they will see. And then they've got another reclamation project, Mike Hughes, that they they brought in from Minnesota. Um, Two guys that they really could use production from either or both. But honestly, it could be a case where they get production from neither. And if that's the case, that quarterback position after that gets really, really short in a hurry. Real quickly on the the safety position, I know that Tyron Matthew, you know, he kind of had a down year last year a little bit. Juan Thornhill are kind of locked in as the starters. What's the deal with Daniel Sorensen? Are they going to keep him at, at one of the safety positions? And what's the situation with uh, you know that back end of the defense at the safety position? Yeah, you know, Sorensen's been the guy that is just always kind of there. <laughs> Whenever anybody gets hurt or um, doesn't come through, I mean, Sorensen's been the guy. He's also somebody that, you know, he's not the most athletic guy in the world, but he can do a lot of things. And and they do like his ability to, to play in the box as, as kind of a, a linebacker almost. He actually, you know, over the last couple of seasons has been in both linebacker and safety meetings. I mean, that's how he kind of is. Uh, a lot of that and how they end up using Sorensen it's going to depend on Thornhill. Um, you know, the, the Chiefs kind of took it easy with Thornhill this offseason. Uh, he had the ACL injury, remember, at the end of his rookie year. And, and kind of, it looked like he kind of hit a wall last year. I mean, he even lost his starting spot at one point last season because uh, the Chiefs felt like, you know, that, that physically he just wasn't quite there yet. And they've taken it easy on him this year. I mean, if if Thornhill was back to 100% and the player that they had as a rookie, there's no doubt he's starting alongside Tyron Matthew and, and Dan Sorensen becomes their number three guy. Uh, but if that's not the case, you know, the Chiefs are not afraid to, to put Dan, Dirty Dan Sorensen back out there. And, uh, they, they trust him in a lot of spots. Well, Sorensen also a great special teamer, which he's yeah, proven, yeah. which I know Jeff is all smiles about because whenever we bring up that facet, you know, he's not going to have anything to complain as a former punter. And that brings us really to that facet of the team. It's easy to overlook that, Matt, given the fact that so much focus is on the offense over the last few years with Kansas City. But, you know, Harrison Butker is a kicker who came through with a number of big kicks for them, especially when maybe they didn't necessarily finish in the red zone. How would you best assess this special teams unit as that? That could certainly be an area that could help them in terms of the return game as well as field goals. Yeah, it's a it's a young unit that they have a lot of confidence in. I mean, Harrison Butker, other than they had some hiccups in the extra point tees field, you know, over the last couple of seasons, he's missed more extra points than someone who is as accurate as he is can be. And some of it is just that he has a routine, and if the routine doesn't work, he can get into a little bit of a slump. But uh, on field goals, there's nobody in the league that's more accurate than Harrison Butker, especially from beyond 40 yards. Um, so. He 
he's a guy that they have complete trust in. Uh, Tommy Townsend, the punter, has a big leg, showed a lot of development last year as, as far as coming along with direction and kind of picking up the, the, the you know, just the, the, you know, hey, Jeff, you know, just the, the, the there's other things that go into being a punter, a lot of things, but just having a big leg. Sure. Those are the things that he's still kind of picking up and learning. Um, the lights got a little bright for him. It looked like in the postseason, you know, he had a really bad kick in the Super Bowl. Um, that's those are the kind of things that hey, young young kickers you're going to have problems with. So that's that's always the concern with this unit as young as it is. Uh, but they've got a lot of faith in both those guys, and they both have big legs. Well, it's, it's, uh, I tell you what, you know, if you got a consistent uh, kicker in this league, you're you're going to do well. And I think that uh, you know. Bucker has done done well. I think he's got a good leg. He's got a good good mindset. And all kickers go through slumps eventually. You know, you just hope that the slump isn't when you need them. <laughs> you know, when they're kind of kicking their way out of the paper bag sometimes. But um, you know, the Chiefs have always had good special teams, um, especially at the punting position, where uh, what Dustin Colker was there forever. So um, you know, look 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 the special teams for the Chiefs. I, I like what they they have there. I think they're going to do well. You know, this team, to me, is um, everybody's going to look at the Kansas City Chiefs at the beginning of the season and say, listen, these guys are going to go to the Super Bowl again. But you, you know how, how difficult it is even to go back to a Super Bowl. But to go to it for a third time is going to be even more difficult. So I'm sure that this team has a lot to work on. Um, but they, as long as they have a quarterback, any team for that matter, they're going to be pretty good. Yeah, I mean, this is a team, obviously, and Mahomes they trust. Uh, and as long as he is healthy, I mean, this is absolutely, at this day and age of the NFL, like a 13-14 type of win team. I mean, year in, year out, they could be that with Mahomes when he's 100%. Uh, honestly, I mean, you know, you've seen what Andy Reid can do with quarterbacks. I mean, even if they had to go with a Chad Henney for a period of time, I mean, they're probably still a playoff sure. team with this roster but yeah this Mahomes makes this team go I mean he's the one that that makes this keeps this from being you know a, a decent you know playoff caliber team uh to being perennial Super Bowl champions at this point Matt before we let you go the Chiefs are going to be playing the Giants in week eight so by that time you know each of these teams is really going to have probably a better idea of what they do effectively and what they need to work on and the reason I bring that up is Kansas City, you just look at their schedule early on, and I don't like to get ahead of four games, but they have Cleveland, they have Baltimore, they got the Chargers right out of the gates. How much do you think we're really going to have a good feel for what this offensive line is about by the time we get through the first quarter of the season for the Chiefs? Yeah, I think that is probably a really good milepost to, to use there is, you know, that maybe that first four games because it's a really tough schedule facing some really tough defensive fronts at that point. So I think you'll be able to get a good grasp, uh, grasp on um, just how well that they are coming together. It wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, especially with some of the, the teams that they're facing early on, if they have some ups and downs early in the season. At the same time, if they come through that stretch early on, you know, four or five and up, and they're not giving up a lot of pressure and they're protecting Mahomes and they're opening up some holes in the ground game, then I think you feel like the sky's the limit. Um, if this team struggles, if they lose a couple of games early, you're probably going to be pointing towards the offensive line as the reason why. So, uh, yeah, I think by you know week four, week five, they'll have a better grasp of what they've got there. You know, the, the thing is, in this league, sometimes that, that doesn't happen. You know, a couple of years ago, remember, you know, when, when the Chiefs did make their Super Bowl run, um, they thought they had to, you know, revamp their defense enough to, to be good out of the box. And, and Steve Spagnuolo thought even by week four, you know, they'd have it figured out. You know, it took them about to week 10 
before they finally <laughs> felt like that defense was good enough and, and they finally started clicking for them. It could be later in the season before this offensive line clicks, if it ever does. So it's it, as we started off the beginning, I mean, it's the biggest question mark for this team is how far can that offensive line take them? Well, if there's two similarities between the Giants and the Chiefs right now, we're both talking about the offensive lines as the Giants try to develop their young guys and the Chiefs bring in a lot of new faces. So it'll be a very interesting matchup come week eight on Monday Night Football. He is Matt Derrick, who covers Kansas City for ChiefsDigest.com. Matt, can't thank you enough. Greatly appreciate the time and the insight. Looking forward to the matchup in week eight between the Giants and the Chiefs on Monday Night Football and look forward to talking to you down the road as well. Thanks again. Thank you, Matt. Pleasure talking to you guys and looking forward to it. Thanks again to Matt Derrick of ChiefsDigest.com weighing in, breaking down what to expect from Kansas City in the upcoming season. We'll give you our own take on the Chiefs in a moment. But first, a few reminders. Limited Giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2021 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seats starting at just $100. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. Also, don't miss out on your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giants games and world-class concerts in 2021 as a Giants suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available or place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com suites for more information. So Kansas City and the Giants will square off on Monday Night Football in Week 8. And we're certainly going to have a better idea as we were talking with Matt right at the end sure. of the interview, Jeff, of both of these teams at that point. But at least what we're operating with right now, and I always like to build similarities between the teams we're previewing and trying to bring it back to the Giants. And while we're not saying that the Giants offense is going to try to be in sync with what Kansas City is doing, but it is fair to say that both of these teams right now, even though it's Patrick Mahomes on one side and Daniel Jones on the other, both of these offenses this year are still going to be dependent on how well the offensive line performs. For the Giants, it's more of a youth movement. For Kansas City, though, they went the route of, hey, a little bit in the draft, a little bit in free agency, a little bit of guys returning from opting out. And what that means is it doesn't matter, Jeff, whether you have a proven Pro Bowl quarterback or somebody like Daniel Jones coming into year three. Your house has to be in order, no matter what team we're talking about. Yeah, for all, all kinds of different situations. I mean, you talk about the offensive line and the running game, um, and then you got the passing game for protection for their quarterback. You're right. But to me, um, there's one thing that I look at this Kansas City depth chart and look at that offensive line that we talked about with the Chiefs. One thing that scares me about that is there's a lot of, there's a lot of older veterans there. And so when, you, when we talk, start talking about Mike Remmers, um, you know, a guy that's got a little long in the tooth, no fun intended. Kyle Long, okay, guy. Yeah, he's a three-time pro bowler, but you know these are these are established veterans. But you know that comes with a little bit of risk. So I think what they did do a nice job at is they have built built some depth behind them. Um, Creed Humphrey, their second-round pick this year. You know, it's guys like this. So I think that's a good thing. Um, to me, on the flip side with the Giants, they're going with the younger guys that can you know kind of maybe withstand a little bit um, because they're young. You know, the, the carryover of the – and I know this because I played into my 40s. You know, the recovery time hurts when you're older. Sure. And so um, – but this this goes to show you that last year, that Super Bowl, you could tell that they, they needed their offensive line and it just didn't hold up. I mean, their guys were missing there and their offense can't run without it. And Dandy Reid said to the general manager, we're going to have to do something about this. We really do. 
um, because that's the bread and butter of that team. You know that. The offenses were the Kansas City Chiefs are really good. And um, to stop them, you got to get to Patrick Mahomes. That's, that's all you got to do. And if you have an offensive line that can't protect him, then they're going to be able to disrupt him, which they have a better chance of winning. It's hard enough to beat the Kansas City Chiefs um, when you have a good offensive line. But when they're inept, like they were in the Super Bowl, you saw what the Chiefs did. Or excuse me, you saw what the, the Buccaneers did to them. Yeah, they got after Mahomes, but I'll take it a step further, Jeff. You got to get at him and you got to bring him down. <laughs> and that sometimes <laughs> is a whole other easy. challenge, right? Yeah, because yeah, he's absolutely. so elusive. So what the Bucks were doing is not only were they getting to him, but they were also taking away his ability to then extend the play yeah, or extend brilliant. the play where he feels safe enough to make a comfortable throw where they can actually move the chain. So the Bucks. They, they frustrated him. Well, did they ever? And they pretty much exposed the Chiefs where if you do have a weakness, hey, there's only so many things that Patrick Mahomes can make up for. And I think yeah, they Lynch. learned it the hard way. And to your oh. point, that's why they addressed this need. And you know what happens in this league. It's a copycat league, sure. right? So any team that can get to Patrick Mahomes in a way that they did, they're going to try to copy that. Um, now, the Kansas City Chiefs are smart too. They're going to combat that somehow. But the fact is, is that they had to rebuild that offensive line. And um, and I think defensively, there's a lot of questions that I feel still need to be answered on the defensive side because, you know, Taco Charlton is another guy that they signed. We didn't mention his name. I mean, he's a he's a journeyman, a young journeyman. A guy's played on so many teams already. But, um, you know, and Chris Jones, by far their best player. Um, and Frank Clark, if they, you know, whatever's going to happen with him, who knows. But, uh, my God, Chris Jones is really a good player. Um, he is a, a solid. But, you know, can he hold up? where his original position is inside. Um, it'll be interesting to see how he can transition. Now, he may not transition to a true defensive end where he's in that nine technique outside, but I think that you know he's going to get some movement of up and down that line of scrimmage because it's all about matchups, as I always say. And uh, if they're going to let him play outside and inside, they're going to match up against the weaker link of the team that they're going up against. Well, that's why, as we were talking with Matt about, I think Jaron Reed was an excellent pickup for them who they brought in from Seattle yeah. because if Reed can then be inserted inside, then you feel right. a lot more comfortable, right, putting Jones on the outside because you say to yourself, well, if I move Jones to the outside, I then create an issue inside. Not though if Reed performs like he did a few years ago in Seattle, which I think he's more than capable of doing, and then you feel a little bit more comfortable in terms of moving around those chess pieces. And we know, <laughs> okay, Jeff, you brought it up in the interview. You're familiar, everybody's familiar around the Giants with Steve Spagnolo, okay, and we know his track record and we know how he'll stay up late at night trying to reconfigure things to make a defense work. So I would have confidence if I'm Kansas City that Spags will be able to press some of the right buttons. I, though, look at this defense, and I wonder, with some question marks up front, with Frank Clark having some legal issues, is Spags in his mind saying, maybe the identity of this defense, Jeff, this year is more on the back end, and maybe he will configure things that they're just going to be a good cover team as opposed to a team that figures, hey, every single down, we're just going to be in your face. Because Lejarius Sneed had a really good first year in the NFL, and he didn't even play the full season. And DeAndre Baker, which is a familiar name to Giants fans, and Matt briefly brought him up, he suffered a broken femur, which is a very unusual injury, and it was a non-contact injury. So I think they're wondering, can he get back, how effective he could be? But you know, maybe a change of scenery, Jeff, right? It's not crazy. Of Sometimes course. we see, right, guys, they change uniforms, a different coach is in their head, in their ear, and then things start to click. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but 
who knows? Maybe that's exactly what DeAndre Baker needed, and maybe Spags finds something in some of these guys on the back end. I mean, come on, DeAndre Baker, he he's definitely was, whether it was a first round, he was a first he's round. He's got draft talent, pick. yeah. He's got talent, that's the thing. You know, so if you went back and you and you took every grade that a team gave DeAndre Baker, none of them had him below a second round, I can tell you that. So he's got the ability. It's just a matter of him coming back from that injury, like you said, and a change of scenery um, and clearing his mind and getting behind some, you know, some people that can support him. He's got that cast with Tyron Matthew. I mean, that's a guy that's a leader. He's, he, you know, he can take these guys under his uh, wing and, and talk to them about being a professional football player, what it's like to be and what you got to do. But maybe you're right. And, uh, and Spags is a lot kind of like Sean Payton. You know, he, he's able to do what he, what he does with what he has in front of him. Yeah. And he basically puts and designs defense to the strength of the players and the positions that he has. And that changes weekly because of the way that the NFL works with injuries, suspensions, COVID now. You know, there's these guys are constantly moving these these little chips around and trying to figure out what they got to do. And I think Spags is one of them. And um, that's just a special talent that most of these guys have in the National Football League, both offensively and defensively. So that's just uh, that that's the nature of the beast. And in the National Football League today, uh, you got to have depth. And I, I've said this about the Giants. And if we go back and look at this team over the years, um, when the second and third team guys are playing and they're not good, you got problems. You got a lot of problems. Now, your third teamers should never be starters right away, but eventually they will be maybe. But if you don't have the depth in the National Football League, you are going to get hurt. It's just, and you got to build that through the draft and some smart free agency um, acquisitions to be able to build your roster. Yeah, because to your point, Jeff, the drop off is going to be so significant. Yes, it Once is. you we all of a sudden that. call on the backup. So you don't want the drop-off to be significant. And I think related to this is circling back to the conversation we were having about the Chiefs' offensive line. Because if Kansas City now is saying our backups were starters from last season, just think about how much better they feel. So, for example, a guy like Nick Allegretti and Andrew Wiley, who we brought up in the interview, those guys had a lot of starting experience last year. And nobody's saying that these are pro bowlers, but you feel good, Jeff, my point is, about that if your tackle goes down and he's got to miss two to three games and you turn to a player and you say, okay, we got film on him. He went up against high-caliber competition in the NFL last year. We're not treating it like it's a baptism by fire where we're asking a kid that we just drafted out of the fourth or fifth round who was mainly a special teamer, and now we're asking him to start three straight games. So I think mentally the rest of the team also feeds off of that, says, oh boy, we lost our left tackle, but hey, you know what? The guy we're turning to is the guy that filled in for four games last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and look at the experience he's getting. Sure. You know, so, and then maybe that guy will be a starter down the line, or maybe that guy that filled in four games was a starter at one point in his career, and that's why he's on the team. You know, and, and Matt was indicating that maybe this is kind of the role of Kyle Long, that he's kind of that swing offensive yeah. lineman that every team looks for uh, because he's kind of older statesman, you know, a guy that's played a lot of football in his life, but he took a year off. And, you know, so now it's or maybe two years off. Was it two years off or just one? Um, well, Kyle, Kyle Long, Long was just out for this year, but previous yeah. year he was hurt. Yeah. Exactly. So he played, but he didn't play the full season. Sure. But I mean, my point is, is that you got to you kind of try to find one of those guys that can kind of move up and down the the offensive line is your swing guy that can play some guard center tackle. Not every team has that. Now, I don't know if Travis Kelsey, I, it, excuse me, not Travis, Kyle Long can play center or tackle. I don't know, but um, you know, they'll find out. Now it's an interesting team. It really is. I, I, I got to believe that they're going to be good. Um, they're going to be one of the favorites, but I'm interested to see because I, un, I know this for a fact because 
I've been in the situation where you're coming off Super Bowl and, you know, the next year you got a really good year. And our 08 team was probably better than the 07 team. But we ran into some problems. And, uh, you know, I have to bring those up. And yeah. the fact is, is that then the next year, look what happened, the third year. And I mean, we easily, the Giants easily could have went to the Super Bowl in 08 again. There's no question in my mind. We had the running game. We had the defense. We had it all. And, um, you know, if we were able to go to the Super Bowl in 08, whether you win it or not, just think about doing that again in a third season. That is really hard because the closest to that would be the Buffalo Bills in those four straight years back in the 90s. I mean, think about how hard that was. Yeah. And they didn't win one of them. <laughs> well, because even the Patriots, who have yeah. had a run, but we haven't seen three in a row from New England. No. No, they always take a little little time <laughs> they off. Take and a little they, hiatus, they, yeah. Yeah, and then they come back with a vengeance. Yeah. Like, oh, okay, you know, get ready. Here we go again. Um, and we still got number 12. <laughs> yeah. They so. take a year to recharge the batteries and then all of a sudden come back. Yeah. yeah. That's exactly a routine. I'm with you, though. I do think interesting, Jeff, is a very appropriate term to describe the Chiefs because they have talent. It's just they have some questions that maybe we weren't discussing in previous years, and that's why they're interesting because you want to know whether or not the offensive line by week five is going to look very strong, and will somebody emerge on the defensive side of the ball, or will Spags make the necessary adjustments? I will say this, though. If we look ahead to that week eight matchup, and we have no idea what these teams are going to look like in week eight, but I think it's fair to say that any team playing Kansas City this year, you can't watch the Super Bowl, Jeff, and say, oh, yeah, we're just going to do what Tampa Bay did. Tampa Bay, what the Bucs pulled off was extremely rare and extremely unique. And also, the Bucs were stacked up front in terms of the guys that they had that they could send after the quarterback. Exactly. Very well played linebackers who are self-disciplined and know how to assume their roles and don't go above and beyond to try to do their jobs. The communication was perfect. It was pinpoint. But I guess what I'm getting at is is that you always need to go into a Kansas City game saying we have to find a way to score to keep up with them. Because if you look at the games from last year, I'm bringing up the Chiefs' schedule. They scored nine points against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Prior to that, though, 38 against the Bills, 22 against the Browns. That was the two playoff games. But even during the regular season, Jeff, at minimum— you have to score at least 25 points to feel as if you're in the thick of things. The one team outside of the Bucs that had success was the Falcons. The Falcons held the Chiefs to 17 points in Week 16. That's it. Everybody else, you cannot even talk about being in the teens and reasonably having a shot to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. The only way you're going to do it is if they they shoot themselves in the foot. Oh, they'd have to turn the ball over like crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and they just make some bad But you bad also mistakes. can't go into a game thinking that, Jeff. No, I, I think, you know, normally defensively you go into a game and, you know, the rule of thumb is that 17 points threshold. Hey, you know, keep the team under 17 and we can win the game. I mean, that, that's got to add a touchdown to that. I mean, you got to be like, okay, can we keep the, can we keep the Kansas City Chiefs to 20 points and, and below, 21 points, somewhere in there? Uh, then we got a shot. But, you know, keeping 17, you're not going to do it. There's just no way. I mean, their field goal kicker can make 60-yard field goals all day. <laughs> yeah. You know? Well, I thought you were going to say their kicker can hit seven field goals and he can score 21 <laughs> points and win. That's right. <laughs> and by the way, you know, the way that they move the ball up and down the field, that wouldn't be – I mean, five or six wouldn't be out of the question for them to hit a field goal Absolutely. Like that. So, I mean, even if they hit five field goals, you're talking about 15 and another touchdown. You're talking about 15 right there. Uh, 15 points by your field goal kicker. But – 
the fact of the matter is is that this, these teams have to prepare to defend Patrick Mahomes, and I'm not too sold on that wide receiver group. I wanted to get into it a little bit more, but we kind of ran out of time. But, you know, I, I think Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey are their guys. But the fact is, is that they're, they got some, I mean, the household names behind them. You know, not a lot of, you know, Sammy Watkins was a guy that did, really did well coming over from Buffalo. I think he did really well going there. But now he's kind of reinvented himself and he left. So, I, I don't know. It's just going to be interesting to see. Well, Watkins also had trouble staying healthy, which was another problem time. for him. Yeah. Yeah. But I agree with you. I think he gave them a veteran third mm-hmm. option that they felt comfortable with when healthy. Hardman is the key guy this year. That's sure. the X factor because that's here's right. a guy that's got a tremendous amount of speed. He's got big playmaking ability. As Matt pointed out, though, year three now, you want to see more consistency. I think they're a little bit concerned about some of the dropsies, the routes not being crisp, and you want Patrick Mahomes to have confidence that when Hardman's running out there that he's going to throw the ball and he knows that his receiver is going to be in the right place. So I think with Hardman... The skill is there, Jeff, the capability of what you're calling for. Because my interpretation is you're calling for who would be the consistent third option that the Chiefs could turn to in the receiving core. And I agree. There's some questions there. But I think Hardman's got the talent that if the mental side of things meets the talent this year in year three, that they may not have to say to themselves, oh, we wish we went outside the organization. Because I think they at least have a prime internal candidate. Now it's in his hands that he puts it all together. Yeah, and, you know, he's a second-round draft pick, so he's got yeah. he's got a lot of ability. You know that. And um, the, I guess the, the thing to me is that you want that, you know, want that veteran leadership. Well, I mean, behind Tyreek Hill, um, you know, I don't, I don't really – and, uh, I mean, Demarcus Robinson is another guy that's been in the league for a while. But um, I guess you do have a little bit of some veteran presence there, but nothing that to me that jumps off the page. Um, Byron Pringle is a guy that, you know, I mean, he's, he's kind of – I don't know if he's up and coming, but he's he's definitely can play some football. But he's nothing that I, I just don't see it. I just don't really I don't nothing nothing gets me excited about that office that offensive yeah. wide receiver position for them. Other than Tyreek Hill, by the way, I mean, good luck trying to to defend him. I mean, nobody can do that. No, he gives you plenty of headaches. I think where you're going with this, Jeff, is and you tell me if I'm interpreting the wrong. I think. Your point is maybe that you don't think they have a guy that really puts fear in the eyes of the opposition with the third option. Is that Beyond, fair? Yeah, absolutely. Because I think the two, the first two we know, those are the targets. They're going to go to them. And I'm sure the pro football focus, as they always do, have all the you know, the analytics of how many plays they played and how many receivers, I mean receptions or targets that these two guys get. Not a lot left over there. But, you know, Hardman might be one of those guys. Of all the ones, I think that he has the best potential and upside. And I think that he certainly can turn into a really good wide receiver. He He's can. just going to have to mentally get, get into the game and, and take care of those drops and, and, and the things that, that make you a better football player. And that's just understanding the game. And, and you know, as a football player at that level, what you have to do is you got to outsource. you got to go out and try to find people to help you get better. Because you know what? It's difficult to do it by yourself. You're going to want to have to talk to other people. You're going to do things off the field to make you better. You know, this goes along the lines with, with Evan Ingram about dropping passes and things like that. What can I do to help my game? What do I do to help me catch the football more consistently? And, you know, the coaches are one thing, but I think that you really got to talk to guys that play the position. Talk to the guys that are successful at it. Go look for the guys that have the least drops in the league. Yeah. 
every single year and maybe pick up the phone and say, hey, you mind if I just pick your brain for a minute? Some of them might tell you to get lost, <laughs> but some of them might not. Some of them just love to, ch- ch- to share that wisdom with other guys. And um, we'll see what happens with, uh, with Hardman. But I do like him, and I think he's got a lot of upside. But I just don't, you know, again, I think that you take away – you know, Tyreek Hill, and then you go to Travis Kelsey, and then after that it's like, okay, I don't see a real threat there other than Hardman, and if he comes around, he could be a threat. He really could. You know, Jeff, you could even talk to a former player who was very effective in not dropping passes too. It doesn't even have to be a present player. No, that's and that was my point. I think that a lot of these guys that are sitting there out of the game that are very successful, uh, I mean, listen, I, I have people call me all the time. I mean, Mike Prefer uh, contacted me last year about talking to his young guy. Um you know, just about the game. And he says he's got it physically. He just got to, he has to get there mentally. You know, what do you, what does he need to do to improve? So yeah, they, they and, and believe me, a lot of these older veterans that are out of the league, they, they want to talk football. They'd love to talk to these guys and try to give them some of their insight on what to do and how they got better. And some of the things that they did outside of the building. Um, and you know, some, sometimes these guys are from their alma maters. You sure, know, and uh, or or there's from maybe the same city that they played in, or something, or a common Just, friend, or whatever. Exactly. It may Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, and to your point, I think a lot of the the guys outside of the league would be happy to to talk to some of these guys. I mean, I mean, look at look at the uh, tight end university that they, we had on the That's other day. That's a perfect example. Um, you got these guys there; they're out of the league, but they're they're down there trying to give those you know some some help to these current guys, and so that that's that's kind of the camaraderie that you have in the National Football League, and it's a big family. It yeah. really is. Well, and it keeps the former guys connected to the game too. So I think that's 100%. why probably they would be animated. As far as your point about the third option, I also would not overlook. I do think that Andy Reid is going to find a way to get Clyde Edwards-Helaire and Jerick McKinnon involved as sure. running backs in the passing game, and it wouldn't surprise me. Assuming that Hardman maybe doesn't develop into what they're thinking, that maybe a running back finishes as the third highest receiver for the team next year. It would not surprise me. They certainly, the two of those guys that I named, they have the ability to catch the ball in the backfield. And if they can just dump it off to them three, four yards and they pick up 10 with some yak yardage, I think that would work within their offense with their blocking up the field. So, I think McKinnon is one of those guys. I think that he's, uh, you know, he's a little bit underrated. I mean, he's kind of very underrated, surrounded, but I think he would. If there's one person that can utilize him and put him in position to succeed, it would be Andy Reid. Well, remember, and not to get off topic, and not to bring up bad memories to Giants fans, but if you recall, when San Francisco came to play the Giants at MetLife Stadium, they had those back-to-back games early in the season. Remember, they played the Jets first, and then they played the Giants. Nick Mullins started. Remember, the Niners were decimated by injuries, Jeff, so they were playing backups across the board. So Jarek McKinnon played a big role in the backfield, if you recall, in that game because they lost so many other running backs. And what did he do? McKinnon came in, and he was extremely effective, and he made a notable play. Actually, if memory serves me correctly, I think McKinnon may have scored a touchdown in that game. So it just goes to show you he's the type of player. Remember, he was the change of pace back with the Vikings Mm -hmm. before he signed with the Niners. So guys like that, they know how to maximize maybe getting five to six carries a game and then an additional four to five touches and doing something with it. So that's why he, to me, is the perfect fit where Kansas City brings him in and says, hey, we're not going to give you 25 carries. We're going to give you X amount of touches, but we're going to have a group of set plays, and we're going to utilize you and try to get you out in open space. And I think he's the ideal player for something like that. And for a guy that, you know, that he's got to be happy he has a job um, and a good football team. 
um, and you'd be happy to just, like I said, be able to come to work every day and know that your coach is going to put you in, in some plays that, you know, like, like you said, maybe 10, 12, 13 plays a game, and um, I'm done, you know. And if something happens to, uh, uh, you know, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire that I can fill in. I mean, you also got Daryl Williams there and Darwin Thompson. These are some yep. of the other guys that are the running backs positions, but, you know, you easily can move. These guys are all situational players. That's what they are. They, they're they're going to be in situations with Andy Reid's going to say, okay, this is your play package. We're going to put you down in second and long. We're going to put you here. You know, this is what you're going to do for us, okay? And then until, until we ask anything else of you, I want you to study, and this is what you're going to do for us, and do it well, okay? And then we'll go from there. Lance Meadow, Jeff Fiegel's with you here, Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. A reminder, we are not doing our shows live. They're pre-recorded all week as we are focusing on opponent previews, but we also want to maintain the interactive component to the show, so we are answering some of your submitted questions. You could send them in via Giants.com, the mailbag, and you could also use hashtag GiantsChat on Twitter. We will be monitoring that all throughout the week. So, Jeff, let's try to answer a few questions before we wrap up shop. This comes from Randy in Maryland. Is it realistic to think that now that the Giants have signed Kenny Galladay, contested catchability, Kyle Rudolph also contested catchability, and John Ross speed, the wide receiver versus cornerback matchups in spring training, training camp, and practices will make both positions stronger due to consistently playing against higher quality players more often? Oh, I think that that goes without saying. I think that anytime you have good competition, uh, these guys work together. Um, the, the problem you have, and I think people need to understand, um, the way practice is, is, is kind of put together is the ones very rarely go against the ones in practice, okay? Um, once the season, like training camp, they'll do a lot of that because that's competition and they're not going up or they don't have game planning and there's not a game every week. And by the way, even in training camp for the preseason games, there's no game planning. Uh, if the game's on Saturday, Friday, they're getting a game plan. And the game plan basically gives you what the plays are going to – it's nothing. There's no, like, scouting. It's really not much. Training camp's about competition and developing who's going to be the depth of your team. Who's the starters? Who's the second teamers? Who's your 53-man core Yeah, who's going to make the team. Yeah. And so during the season, when we're going to go the first game of the year, you're going to get your playbook, and you're going to get your game plan on Wednesday. The coaches put the game plans together on Mondays and Tuesdays. That's why the players have off on Tuesday. Um, so the coaches can work all day. And when you come to work on Wednesday morning, you get your playbook, you get your game plan for, you know, whoever the first game of the season is or the next week. And what happens is, to answer the question is, is that during the season, those other cornerbacks are going against uh, the second they're, – they're going against the second team receivers. Okay, the first team offense is going against the second team defensive backs. But, what, but to your point is that that can develop – some good competitiveness and being able to work against quality people. But unfortunately, the ones don't play against the ones a lot. They'll do a two-minute thing uh, during the week where the offense plays the defense in two-minute situations. The offense has to go score, and the defense has to stop them. That's kind of a competition that they do. Um, there are some one-on-one drills with the quarterbacks, but really it's, it, it's only maybe a 10-minute period. So they do work a little bit, um, but for the most part during the season, they're separate. You know, so um, but it but it does work. And, and certainly any time that you have good quality competition at any position that are going up against each other, you're going to get better. There's no question. And I think at least from the limited time that they may go up against one another, I'm looking at it more from the division 
perspective, Jeff, because okay. within the division, right, just let's think about it, and we're not going to fully break down all the teams, but you look at what Dallas poses, okay? The Cowboys have three very talented wide receivers, and you got some size within that group, especially with mm-hmm. their tight ends. You look at Washington, you got some speed. You have mm-hmm. some versatility. Curtis Samuel, Terry McLaurin, you got Logan Thomas, the big tight end. Mm-hmm. And then you look at Philadelphia, which has some young guys, but you also have some speed, and you have some big playmaking abilities. So to go back to the question that Randy is asking, I think it never hurts that the wide receivers for the Giants are going to be going up against a varied group of corners, which they're going to see some similarities within the division. But then the cornerbacks for the Giants are going to see wide receivers from the Giants' perspective where you got some guys that are big, some guys that are fast, some guys that ride across the middle of the field. And because the division presents all of those challenges and that's who you're going to play twice every single year, I think that's at least a positive because of what you're going to be going up against on a consistent basis come the regular season. No question. Absolutely right. I remember years ago, um, for some reason, the NFC East just had big corners. Do you remember they were all big? 6'1", 6'2", some 6'2". Sure, especially the Eagles, if you remember. The Eagles always had those big cornerbacks. And and I think that that's kind of, you know, kind of ebb and flow. Sometimes they go away from that, and it's just the way that their team is being built through the draft, and uh, it just kind of segues into that. But um, absolutely. So anytime you can – you can practice against kind of what you're going to be playing the most of, and that's in your division. That's a good thing. So let's go to our second question, which is somewhat related to the receiving core. George in Florida, what do you think John Ross can bring to the Giants? What have you heard or seen from him? What are the Giants coaches saying? Can he finally supply some big plays and finally fulfill his draft status pedigree? Well, Jeff, since we alternated yesterday, I'm assuming you'd like me to take this one first as well. Since we're, once again, equal opportunist. Okay. (laughs) I had just made that assumption, so that's what I was figuring. Your assumption was right. There you go. What my response is to any question that is always posed about John Ross is, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that, Jeff, is here's the most important statistic for John Ross this season. How many games is he going to be in a Giants uniform And how many games is he going to be active? And I know that may be the boring answer, but for a guy, Jeff, that at most has played 13 games, and that was Mm -hmm. 2018, and over the last two years has played 11 total games. I get it. You look back at his draft stock. We know about his 40 time. Nobody's questioning his skill. But when you start talking about what he potentially can do, what he could potentially do is always going to be tied into his availability. So I think from the Giants coaching perspective, if you ask anybody within the building as they gear up for training camp, their goal is let's maintain John Ross's health. Let's get him out on the field. Let's see him get comfortable within the scheme. And when we pass all of those marks, then we could start truly having the conversation about how we can utilize him and what he could do on a consistent basis. And by the way, that's an exciting conversation to have if it ever comes to fruition. Yeah. Because he does have the ability. And like you said, nobody's questioning the speed and that kind of ability. Um, it's the health. And so if I'm the Giants, I'm sitting John Roth down. 
I'm telling him, listen, okay, what is the training? What are you? What are your regiments? What are you doing during the season? What are you doing in the off season? How are you eating? What are some of the things that we can help you through our nutritionists, through our our weight, our our training staff, through the strength and conditioning coaches? Um, you know, how can we monitor what you're doing in practice? And you could do that all these nowadays because they have the GPS systems that are built into their shoulder pads, showing these guys how long and how fast they're running and how much they're working, how much they're exerting energy. And maybe it's one of these things where this guy just, and I don't know this, this is not, this is just, I'm just guessing, you know, maybe there's a guy that he just works really hard at practice. And for some reason, we got to back him off on some of these things because this is why he's getting hurt. So these are all the things that I want to know. And by the way, in today's world, this is all feasible because the game, whether football or every athletic, you know, all the sports are changing. The way that we, we train, the way that they analyze things, the way that they can take data from, you know, practices and things like this, this all can be brought into effect for this guy. And so maybe it's, you know, we don't, we don't practice them on a Wednesday or whatever it is, you know. So um, the answer to the question, and it's a good one, and I think you, you did a great job explaining it, is nobody's questioning his ability. It's how are we going to keep him healthy and that we know that he can stay healthy, that we can get him a jersey on Sunday. Because, by the way, there's going to be a thick room of those, of those wide receivers trying to yeah. compete for a jersey on Sunday, not only a jersey on Sunday, but a jersey on the 53-man roster. Because I'm interested it's going to be – I tell you, that's going to be – I want to watch the offensive line this year in training camp, and I want to watch that, that uh, wide receiver group um, because there's, that's, there's, there's, not a lot of, there's not a lot of jerseys to go around that position. There really isn't. There's a lot of good players, but there's only going to be maybe maybe five, you know? So it's going to be interesting. Great competition. 100%. Here's another stat that I've always thrown out whenever John Ross has been brought up in our conversation. Special team snaps in John Ross's career, Jeff, zero. <laughs> okay? That's hard to understand. Even at a, as a rookie. Now, remember, he was a, well, a first-round draft pick, right? Correct. So first-rounders typically, you know, Depending on, I guess, what team you're on, uh, don't play a lot of special. It depends teams, on they, the philosophy of the coaching staff. And also, please, it also depends on the player. You know, I mean, what, what can the guy do? Yeah. I mean, obviously, he doesn't do much. So, and we talk about this every single year until we're blue in the face. These guys need to understand that your ticket to the National Football League as a back end roster spot is special teams. <laughs> I mean, forget about the other position. You know, if you want to make this team, you better you better do well on special teams. If you're one of those guys that are just on the bubble as far as a wide receiver, you know, one of the defensive backs, um, one of the defensive ends, or you know, one of those guys, you got to be able to do it. You have to. Now, granted, the quarterbacks aren't playing special teams. You know, the running backs like Eli Penny and some of those guys, they're going to play special teams. But Saquon Barkley doesn't play special teams. He's probably never taken a snap on special teams other than maybe return a uh, kickoff or something. You know, so. Um, yeah, I think it's a great point, and that's something to watch. Well, and it's tied into your point about the competition that you're looking forward to to watching a training camp because when it comes down to do we keep five guys, do we keep six guys, those guys that are number five and number six, mm-hmm. something tells me that special teams and what they could do is going to be a big part of the dialogue and the conversation when it comes to determining those well, back-end roster spots. And look at Dante Pettis. He's another guy that's, you know, has a lot of ability. And how much does, how many special team snaps does he take over his over the years? You know, so you really got to kind of look at look at these guys and say, okay, does this guy have a chance? Well, let's see. Uh, he hasn't never played a snap in special teams before. But he's got a lot of ability as a wide receiver. 
that probably would be if he if he can do what we just said and stay on the field and get a jersey every Sunday, he may not have to play special teams. I just looked it up. Dante Pettis, who at least has some return experience, but yeah, even with that, that, no, and you bring up a great point, Jeff. In total, Dante Pettis, 40 special team snaps okay, since well, 2018. More than, than John Ross. That's <laughs> absolutely 40 more than John Ross. <laughs> Tremendous math on your part, Jeff. See, For those you never know what home. you're going to get here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. <laughs> yes. Hey, by the way, we like simple math. <laughs> oh, very Well, that doesn't get any simpler than that. I'll tell you that in terms of the breakdown. But uh, it is going to be interesting to monitor the wide receiver competition in training camp. And we appreciate the questions, and we hope that you continue to send them in because, like I said, we'll make time at the end of every show to answer some Giants-related questions yep. as we inch closer to the start of camp and also continue to preview some of the Giants' upcoming opponents. So this is going to wrap up Tuesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. It is part of the Giants Podcast Network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. We'll be back up and running on Wednesday with a new edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Jeff, always enjoy the conversation. Look forward to doing it again shortly. Yeah, thank you very much, Lance, and uh, thank to Matt for joining us today, too. Absolutely. For Jeff Eagles, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Stay locked to Giants.com. Have a good one.